Did everybody meet a new friend? You, you did your homework assignment? Well done. Took yourself out of the comfort zone. From the mundane to the sacred. Uh, okay, uh, so our next session is Purpose and Intentionality at Work with two incredible leaders. Um, so I'm going to do the introduction for both of them, and then I'm going to quickly get out of the way. Um, so Katie Mooney is the Managing Director of Saramount, where she equips and supports partners with the strategies necessary to enable opportunities for equity within an inclusive work environment. Currently, Katie is an Executive Advisor and Senior Liaison for the Chief Diversity Officers Collaborative and is accountable for Saramount's partner success. She serves as a trusted advisor to McDonald's, MGM Resorts, and Sephora, just to name a few. During her tenure at Saramount, she was responsible for leading diversity best practices, the corporate membership offering that supports DEI practices through research and advisory. Prior to joining Saramount, she was responsible for overseeing the client delivery, staffing, operations, and growth as Vice President of Jennifer Brown Consulting and leading the DEI Enterprise Learning and Development Strategy at Capital One, specializing in differential investment programming to support historically excluded talent. Most recently, during her two-year term, two-year tenure, serving on the board of directors for the GSBA, the largest LBGTQ and allied chamber of commerce in North America. She co-led the creation of the first DEI strategic plan and committee creation. Katie has a master's degree in human resource management with concentration of diversity and inclusion from Georgetown University. Please welcome Katie. And Teresita Richard is the Chief People Officer at Patagonia. Uh, she is on a mission to transform the world of work, cultivating environments where humans can flourish in their fullness. Uh, she brings over 20 years of experience in diversity, equity, and inclusion, organizational effectiveness, experience design, operations leadership, and human resources. Previously, Teresita led Capital One's Global Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging, where she drove the work to advance diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging across the company. She currently serves on the board of Out and Equal, a global convener, thought leader, and catalyst actively working to embed equity and achieve workplaces of equality and belonging. Teresita started her career in operations after earning her bachelor's in industrial engineering and operations research from Cornell University. It was there that she discovered her passion for creating experiences around the world, went on to pursue a master's in human resource development from George Washington University. And over the years, she has worked with various Fortune 500 companies, including Procter Gamble, Target, Home Depot, and Starbucks. Please join me in welcoming Teresita Richard. So I'm going to hand this uh, conversation to Katie, and the floor is yours. Here we go. I deliberately moved the chairs because I was telling Teresita, I'm like, we're not on family feud. Like, we can be <laughs> closer together, as I always desire to be in space with Teresita, my dear long friend. And, um, you know, just a little bit of color as we started to talk to Sam about this session was, one, I think for me and the work that I do in helping to support and advance diversity, equity, and inclusion for so many organizations, this is so central to the work that we do to create inclusive workplaces, spaces so people can thrive. And that's so incredibly important to me, but also I know of Teresita. 
Um, a little bit about my strengths is I'm a connector, a relator, and a learner. And thankfully, due to this work that I've done with Sam, um, it's really helped to uncover and ensure that I'm leading with those strengths every single day. And that's been so critical in even just some of my own work in this and, of course, through Ikigai. Um, but, you know, in the idea of this opportunity to think about the work that we do, the hours we spend at work, I thought, gosh, I think I know someone from probably one of the world's most purpose-driven organizations in leading this work. And it's such a unique lens in which Patagonia has really put forth kind of this purpose over profit. Um, perspective. And not only because we, she and I share these same kind of values, the desires for what we both individually and holistically want from work, but also, of course, from the organizations we represent, we thought, gosh, this is a really good time to come together and have a conversation. So really, this is truly, um, you know, me kind of talking with Teresita, kind of understanding a little bit more, both from an organizational perspective, but also from an individual perspective and so I just have a few questions to kind of kick this off but this is all for you to be in connection and community with all of us so we'll have a couple questions around this topic but then really uh, you know break right in to allow for some questions for all of you and you're right we have hired Sam to be our Mike Renner so absolutely as women rule the world so absolutely indeed we do we have him in that that position but I want to start by just giving a little context to Patagonia. So it, I found through some just some research that in the 50th year, looking forward, not back, to life on Earth. And they've said, together, we can prioritize purpose over profit and protect this wondrous planet, our only home. Having always been environmentally conscious, the company keeps leaning further into environmental activism. And less than a year ago, they changed their mission from this product purpose hybrid, build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solutions to an environmental crisis, to the clear purpose-driven mission. Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. So as your CEO and you say, we're in the business of going purpose. But interestingly enough, profound success from Patagonia going, per going to purpose. And so I wanted to kind of start at the organizational level. Um, as you, as a senior leader in the organization, overseeing all of talent, people, culture, the opportunities to create spaces where people thrive, just from your lens, how has this purpose shown up as a strength for Patagonia as an organization. And I'm just kind of curious around how has Patagonia developed maybe some specific strategies to advance purpose? That's a big question, it's but I love the question. So um, I'll actually start with a story. So I've been at Patagonia for about six months. Um, actually just hit my six month anniversary last week. Yay me, yes. Um, and while when the company changed ownership and went into this new structure, I was in the midst of my interview process. 
And so I had this question, you know how it is when you're in the midst of an interview, you're like checking out the company, the company's checking you out, you're like, is it real? Let me kind of peek under the covers, let me find out what's going on. So in this conversation that I was having with our CEO, um, we started to talk about this notion of going purpose over profit. And one of the things we talked about is our mission is we are in business to save our home planet. The first part of that is that we are in business. It's almost being unapologetic about the fact that you can be a for-profit company and you can do good. And this idea that if you can be a responsible business and you can essentially turn capitalism on its head, and we prove that we can be successful in that way, then others will also want to join in because we can't do this work alone. Patagonia alone will not be able to save our home planet, right? And so this piece around proving success that you can operate in a different way will enable other people, will inspire other people to come along on this journey. And that second part, to save our home planet, well, one of the conversations we were, we were having is that I'm coming to this role as chief people and culture officer in this body. And I hold many stories in this body as a black woman, as a queer person, as a person who lives with disabilities, as someone who is an artistic and creative soul put on this earth to move forward and advance human flourishing. Will I belong? Will I be able to flourish and thrive in this space? And so we had this conversation about we're in business to save our home planet. And there's a question that kind of tacks onto that. And that is for whom and with whom? And it kind of gets to the space that there has to be both a for and a with. We can't do this work by ourselves. We have to challenge everything. As we were talking a little bit earlier, one of the comments I wrote down was, what are the questions that we're not asking that we should be asking? And so when I think about how that takes shape from a business perspective, we each have to challenge ourselves to say, are we asking the right questions? Now, a few of those ways that it shows up from a purpose perspective, this notion of being purpose embodied is the fact that we are a company of activists. And we want to enable people to be able to go out and activate. And so some of the ways that that shows up are in the form of activism hours. So you don't have to do it on your own time. You can get paid to go out and activate, to work with organizations that are on the front line, that have the expertise, that are in the work day in and day out, and be with them and support and amplify their work as they are going out and fighting the good fight. And that we have a responsibility, so it shows up in every decision we make, in every conversation we have. So I am in this world of HR, and so we talk about these things like performance. And now I'm having conversations like, we dare not be extractive. That was in my first week, y'all. <laughs> we don't want to be extractive. So what does performance mean in a world where you don't want to be extractive? Do we talk more about contribution and legacy? Like, how does that show up? How do we think about those things? And also thinking about this notion of growth, which is why I love when we were talking about Ikigai earlier and this notion of kind of that tension between the comfort zone and the panic zone and living in the growth zone, like how do you begin to think about that? Not only from a personal perspective, but as an organization. What does it mean for us to responsibly be 
in the growth zone. So we have those types of conversations day in and day out. Yeah, and I thought what was interesting too about the culture and the people is that there's this real kind of transparent culture in which, and I think, you know, correct me, but kind of Patagonia colleagues are equipped to own their work essentially in a more of an entrepreneurial spirit and also kind of really be able to drive insight into leadership's mm -hmm. direction. And that's a really important part of purpose, of kind of defining what is your purpose in your every single day role at Patagonia. Any thoughts you'd have on kind of purpose in that way, those other policies or ways in which Patagonia is really helping to equip their people mm -hmm. every single day in the work that they do? Yeah, so one of our values is not bound by convention. Uh, which I think is pretty cool because often you may come into an organization and you're needing to follow the rules, right, essentially. Right. Figure them out, first of all, and then follow them, right? And so this notion of like, we need to be experimental. We need to act our way there. So not wait until we have something perfect before we act. Mm -hmm. And this notion that ideas, solutions can and do come from anywhere. So it doesn't matter what position you hold in the organization, your ideas can come forth and they can be the thing that really kind of changes the direction that we're headed in. Right. And we actually, you know, take the time to reward that and to reward when you're acting from a not bound by convention way. So how do you bring your ideas forward? Um, and if you're starting to feel like, oh, this, I don't know if this thing would work because, flipping that question into, well, what would it take and how might we? And so asking those two questions, how might we and what would it take can really flip your mindset because it, when you're in a space of diving into the problem, often you will dig deeper into the why it won't work. But when you flip that question, it can open up new ways of seeing and operating, which then can get you to solutions you never thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Like making a jacket out of trash. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I want to segue a little bit to just you and mm -hmm. you as a leader, as so many of those beautiful dimensions that you shared with us. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and bringing truly yourself into this space and conversation and in this door. Um, you know, for you and your incredible esteemed and tenured career that you've led, how have you been able to get clear on your values, your purpose, um, your beliefs, and then how has that really helped you make certain decisions or continue onward with the work that you're doing and, and also understanding like your contribution to what the world needs? There's a lot of trial and error. <laughs> I burnt out and I came back. Um, but really I think when I think back, there's a picture of myself that I love. I'm about four years old and I have on this yellow sundress with ruffles in the sleeves. It was fabulous. Always ruffles. Always ruffles. Everyone needs a good ruffle. And I had on these like cute little white sandals. And what I was thinking about, why I love that picture is because when I look at that picture, that little girl has like a fire in her eyes. She's like got this spark and she was incredibly curious, imagination would flourish, and she was obsessed with humans and our stories. And so I would put on these little shows and anyone who was around 
had to come to the show because we were, we were telling the story, right? It was necessary. Uh, but it was this notion of being obsessed with human stories and trying to understand why do we human in the way that we human? Why do we do what we do? So if I fast forward, um, I actually started my career in engineering, picture paper plants, safety goggles, earplugs, safety shoes. They were bedazzled. Um, <laughs> We will bring style to all the That's things. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. Safety shoes, but the whole thing. And I was really good as an engineer, but what I found that I was drawn to more when I felt most alive was when I was hearing people's stories and I was hearing what, what really fueled them and drove them and what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go. And I got to be a part of them helping to make that happen. Fast forward, that turned into me taking on these different projects around the world of work, how work happens, how people build skill and develop and all of that good stuff. I didn't know at the time that that thing was called HR. I just thought I want to do this human work. Decided to go to grad school. And that took me into the world of retail, which I fell in love with. Um, and essentially, it was engaging and connecting with people and their stories in different ways and contexts all the time. And I started to find this through line. It really didn't matter the role I was in or the company that I was in, that I always came back to story. I always came back to identity. I always came back to helping people to thrive and flourish no matter what. I could trace it back in every role that I was in. And so then I started to figure out, I think this is a thing. Yeah. Like, I think this is something that I need to have in my life in order for me to feel most me. And so I did get to a point in my career, though, that I completely burned out. I burned out. I mean, like, the burnout of all burnout. Like, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm done. We exchanged texts. We did. About burnout. Yes. 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 It was serious. It was real. And what I realized is that I was out of alignment. So when Sam showed that, like, that axis earlier where it was, like, your priorities and your actions... I was like way in the, I was in the frustration zone because I was acting a lot. Like, you know how we do when we're working and we're adults and we just keep going and keep going and keep going. That's exactly what I was doing. So I went like past the frustration zone and completely burned out. And I had to do this work of healing and restoration. And I had this moment where I looked in the mirror and I'm like, girl, because that's how I talk to myself you are out of alignment. Like, you can't keep going like this. If you keep going like this, you literally, physically will not be here. And so I had to have this moment of saying, what are the things that really matter to me? Mm. I know that contribution really matters to me. I wanna contribute, I wanna leave a legacy, right? That piece really matters to me. I know that I wanna continue to grow and I wanna be around people that I enjoy, that I can laugh with, that we can have fun together. And I know I wanna do this human work. What I then was able to realize was that I needed, I'm a creative, I needed more creative space. And I happened to be in, envi in an environment that didn't allow for that. I needed more autonomy. It was literally a need for me. And so I said, here are the things that I'm going to go after. Contribution, growth, good people that want to laugh, autonomy, and creative space. 
and I want to do something that feels bigger than myself. And here I am. Here you are. As I round out my final question, because I want to get to all of your questions, um, you know, I might have to share, because we started as like sisters on this burnout journey yeah. together. And, um, you know, when Sam came to us and he said, I'm leading a ikigai for midlife, it was such an opportunity. Well, first, I will just say, I said, well, define midlife. Like, let's actually, like, no, we don't qualify. And he gave me this, like, huge range. So I was like, OK, OK. But I grabbed Teresita and I said, let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's do this. And so as we worked together through kind of a program around kind of ikigai for midlife, we just did this. It's a beautiful, yeah. like, season. Highly recommend. Gratitude. Yeah. I'd love to learn from you about, you know, kind of what's one big takeaway for you on this evolving journey for you around Ikigai, purpose, and, you know, something you're just kind of nourishing or thinking about for going forward. Yeah, so I had an aha moment in our last session, and we did this work to put down our values and to start to define them. And my aha moment was that my values are not just like, haha values, but they were literally my needs, mm -hmm. like the air I breathe. Yes. When I don't have those things in my life, I feel literally like I'm not breathing, like I can't breathe. Um, and it was an aha moment for me because I realized that's my lens that I can go to see, am I in alignment? I can look at my calendar in that way. I can look where I'm spending in that way. I can look at my time, all of those things, the people that I have around me, how I'm contributing. And I can ask myself through that lens of my values, AKA my needs, am I in alignment? And so that was one of those moments that was just like, Bye, burnout. Don't let it kick you on the way out the door. Absolutely. Yes. Well, let's go to some questions um, from you all. Just and I'm happy to answer as well. But just you know, curious what your thoughts are for Teresita and I. Thank you. I'm Shannon Richards. I work for Amazon. Um, one of the questions I have is, uh, as a maybe on the further end of middle-aged white guy, squarely in the middle of the white guy piece. Um, <laughs> own it, own it. It's all good. We still love you. And it's a range, remember? That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, on the spectrum, I'm, yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> what guidance do you have on, I don't want to be another white guy leading a thing. I want to enable and support and encourage and bolster what got, like the ally thing had a moment, but then it got kind of tarnished with other overtones. So I'm curious about what thoughts, and, and maybe this is just to the broader room, like come talk to me later if you have thoughts about it. How can a white guy who's in a position that might be helpful to others, um, offer that help most effectively? I would say that you too hold stories in your body. And I think one of the things I'm really passionate about is I believe that you can't flourish if you can't own your identity. Mm. And that's that notion of being able to break down like 
who you are, why you are, what stories you hold. Um, and I actually think um, what shows up often is we make it a white versus everyone else, almost like I don't have a story, and so since I don't have a story, I'm now not, not able to activate, right? And so I think the ownership of your story matters, all the parts, all the parts, right? That really matters, and I, when I think about how we transform this world, my personal mission is in the workplace, how we transform the workplace, bringing identity forward and owning those stories is the first part because you recognize you have a story to come with someone else's story and then in that you can activate the verb of ally or being a co-conspirator and making change. I'll add, I think that when you said own it, no, I think you really are owning it. I mean, an acknowledgement of kind of knowing yourself, your space, and how you want to navigate, I think that's first, because awareness is so incredibly powerful. But then secondly, I mean, and just to get, a, I think, a little bit more tactic, tactical when you kind of talk about allyship is, you know, in, in kind of evaluating the structures, whether it be organizational structures at play, maybe your individual kind of power, if you will, or privilege that you might carry, how might you then think about what are the systems in which this might be unfair, unequal, inaccessible for someone else? anyone else and I think when you can utilize that space that you hold whether that be you or of course you in Amazon or any scenario how might you be the one that then extends yourself to that person to create psychological safety we can screw up we can you know of course um, share with you come to you and kind of really how do you build that safe space for one then to be able to flourish and you can be a cat catalyst for that change for someone. That right there. Hi, my name is Christina Juarez and I work at the Nature Conservancy. Um, and Teresita, you mentioned earlier that um, ideas can come from anywhere, right? And that you reward those ideas. And I'm curious how you encourage, how you reward um, you know, for employees to kind of step up and really share their thoughts from like a vulnerable place and how that can be translated into other areas. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I think is really important is the concept of co-creation. And so this notion of like the idea comes forward, right? And it's not like that idea is then taken and someone else goes off and starts working on it, but how do we continue to co-create, to create together how that idea can you know, evolve and grow and, and become uh, a tangible thing. I think the other thing that goes with that in that co-creation process is this notion of iteration. Um, and to hold, hold the ideas lightly. So I will say, you are precious, your idea is not. Um, and if you start with that point, that you are precious, your idea is not, then that means you can hold the idea loosely, you can co-create, you can begin to iterate and evolve, test, experiment, fail, 
figure out what works, it becomes something else, it takes on different life, and then you kind of put this thing out into the world. And so I feel from a reward perspective, one, sometimes it's just the opportunity to be able to work on a thing and carry it from idea to a tangible thing that lives in the world. And that opportunity creates access to experience, builds skills, and those things will come back later as there are broader, more expansive opportunities that maybe, especially as I think about equity, what becomes important is can you access the opportunity? Not just is the opportunity there, but are you able to access it? So this notion of co-creation, working with, giving people the room and the space to be able to work through their ideas, and then the recognition that they were the ones who brought this forward and now look what this is, and then opening up room for them to be able to grow into those different roles becomes really important. Other thing that I, it's one of the things we've been working on and I feel it's been working really well. Pay people for the work that they are doing. Precisely. Pay people for the work the that truth. they're doing. So here's what that means. If, they, if the person works in a job that may be a lower paid role, but then the work that they are contributing because they brought forth the idea is something that is, say, a project management skill. It's a consulting skill. It's something that you may pay someone else a lot more money. While they are working on that, pay them for that. That is one of those ways to reward them and to recognize, it's not even reward, I'll call it the recognition of the contribution that is being made. And so I think that that piece is really important because often the rub that will come up is we'll take someone's ideas, thank you, kind of go back and do your thing. Yeah right? Or come work on that thing with us. Spend all of this time. Give us all of this sweat, equity, and effort, but then we're not going to pay you for it, and you don't see the reward after. So that pay piece, that co-creation piece, and then that recognition and access to opportunity for the future becomes really important. Yeah. I just add, how might you learn was we talked earlier about individualism versus collectivism and kind of a collective culture, how can you be thinking about the ways in which you can use your power mm -hmm. to help support an environment so that one can bring a good idea, uh, be, you know, of course, participate and get paid for? How can you be the person to actually, when you want it, actually say, how are you doing or what can we create together? Actually listen and do something about it um, so we don't get into a little bit of the kind of a lot of the, a lot of talk and no action. So again, how can you kind of be this catalyst in your organization for this space to innovate? Yes. Hi. Um, well, first of all, thank you both for being here. I'm just, I'm sitting back here fangirling and still reeling from what you just said. Uh, my name is Taina. Um, I'm not with any of the big companies. I'm a feminist life coach, but I am interested to hear from you about a little bit more about that extractive, um, how not to um, create extractive workplaces, right? So like what, what challenges have you had? Like what has been the biggest challenge in cultivating that? And where would you tell someone to start if they were trying to reverse a culture at work that has become extractive? Yeah, one of the questions we ask is, are you getting as much from us as um, we are asking for from you? And we follow that 
question um, to see are we truly like sowing into someone's life as much as we're asking them to give to us? And if that equation is not ba balanced, then we need to be able to look at that. Um, when I think about different ways that that shows up, often in performance management, it shows up in that, right? In terms of like how we value what someone is doing and is it dehumanizing in the way that we're doing that? And, and having to take like deep looks at what systems are we creating for how you, how you value um, what someone brings to the table, right? And often what can show up, and, and I've seen this in, over the years in many ways, is the performance management system that we have actually eats away at your personhood, right? And then you get to a place where you're like, am I even worthy? You know? And I don't think that it's by intention. I think there's a lot of good intention that goes into how our systems are created. But just the very nature of desiring not to be extractive means we have to ask ourselves those types of questions. How do we define performance? How do we define what is professional? How do we define what is valued? And like, professional, what does that even mean? Word. Right? Yep. Breaking all of those things down, you know? And so I think that it starts with asking those questions and then taking the, the time, the pause, to say, you know what, this is really hard. We're now coming into a moment of consciousness because we paused to ask this question and we're getting real answers from people. What are we going to do about it? It's not easy, but it's definitely worth it to take that time to do that and to little bit by little bit kind of dial that, like deconstruct it and construct something that's better for all of us. And I'll think about it from another lens too as well is one of the areas where I think even performance management is a moment where I've sat and paused when I've gotten feedback that I could be working on more of the things that I should build strengths for mm -hmm. versus the actual strengths that I have. We're in misalignment, mm -hmm. just like you said. And I got to go in front of that mirror and be like, girl, what is happening here? And that's another piece also when you think about like performance management, your unique contribution is, are you spending more time on adapting your strengths to the norm? Or are you actually embracing and being employed to carry forward the strengths that you have. And there is an opportunity for misalignment. But then also when you think about, of course, the system, and this is, I think the work you and I've done for years around kind of this boulder around DEI coming towards us, carrying it up the mountain, of course, through peaks and valleys and the work mm -hmm. that we've done. So change has always been really important. But I think we can't continue to do this without accountability. I think also, too, as we think about cultures and, you know, the I think, thankfully, I think the generations now that are demanding transparency, demanding a place where they have and can see themselves having purpose at work, I think that's where Patagonia is truly winning related to that work um, as far as every organization that I've seen. But even when we talk about accountability, it's asking the question of, but are you really ready for this? And asking our leaders, asking your company, asking your ecosystem, are you ready for this? Because what you're saying needs to really be how you're walking in this space. And even when sometimes that's a tough conversation, it's probably the most 
critical question to get very clear on before you undertake any work or of organizational change management? It's such a good question of are you ready for this? Yeah. And likely the answer is no. 100%. Then maybe the reframe on the question becomes, are you ready to act on this? Fair. No matter what comes through. Right. And I was just thinking about that just now because if you're asking a question that you're not ready to act on, then don't ask the question. Because that creates a huge trust deficit. And how many of us have experienced that, that breach in trust, and then the, the walls just start to go further up? Why? Because we're seeking to survive, right? But if you can say, you know what, I am going to act as hard as it might be, right? As much as you might call my baby ugly, <laughs> <laughs> it might happen. And you can say, you know, baby is a little ugly. Let's, let's work on that. Let's yes. work on that, right? And then you can kind of get, you can get That's to right. the, get to the work, so. Don't quote that. Don't call the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tara Sita Richard did not say that. <laughs> Hi, my name is Malika, and my question is around imposter syndrome. So I had worked a nonprofit for 16 years, shifted to big tech, um, and you know had to kind of maneuver through imposter syndrome when I first you know started there. Um, was laid off in the last layup layoff rounds, and so looking to get back into the workforce, knowing I've overcome a lot of imposter syndrome type things, which relates to a lot of what you guys are talking about, what advice would you give to people kind of in that position of, you know, like you said, six months ago, starting over, being at Patagonia, like, did you experience kind of that imposter syndrome, and then how did you manage through that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, let me tell you kind of, it's kind of a little funny, but it's real, um, the way that that shows up. So I talk about like loving style, loving fashion, all the things, right? And I'm going to a company where we are unfashioned is the, is the, uh, the campaign for, for all very good reasons. And so I had this moment of like, do I need to go in in some hiking boots and like maybe like with some waders over my shoulder and like a you know like a, like all the things I was like I gotta dress the part like I gotta go in and I gotta like I gotta be in the part. It's so real. I was in my closet like what what can I put on to make sure I look like I fit? Now I'm in DEI, like I've done that work for years, right? And in the HR world, I'm like, but I gotta fit, I gotta fit. And I had this moment of like, no, I'm on assignment here for a reason. I am called to this place for a reason. My unique gifts and talents that I bring forward, who I am is additive to this space for a reason. And if you are there, you were chosen to be there for a reason, so be there. And you might have to get in the mirror and power pose, because that's real too, and I've done it. That's right. Power pose, do the thing. For me, it's the pop of purple. This is a really good vest, y'all get it. Fall 23. <laughs> <laughs> we're, in, we're in business, right? For it. We're in business to save the home planet. But all jokes aside, it was just this thing around like recognizing you worked to get there. Mm. You are in that room for a reason. What you bring to the table, your unique perspective, your unique gift, your unique talent, your voice, your lived experience is what is needed in that moment. 
Normal is just a setting on a washing machine, right? And so if you think about like what you're bringing forward, sometimes we gotta talk to ourselves and we've gotta remind ourselves and you gotta get that crew, that community that when you can't talk to yourself, right. like when I text you, you yep. she's like, I got you, Yep. right? They'll talk to you and kind of get you into that space that you can go in and you can be. Because you're supposed to be there. I, I think too we should reference um, just our really good friends Jody Ann Bury and mm -hmm. Ruchika Talshian who wrote that incredible article about like this myth of imposter syndrome. I think they actually were, used a very profound four-letter word to explain the imposter syndrome. But you know, I think one of the things that I took away from that article too is that it wasn't real. Like the imposter syndrome is based on like this system that tells me that I've got to be running the at the washing machine normal, whatever normal is, and that you either make it or you don't, and it's so binary in nature. And I think also too, just for me personally, I probably felt in every single role I was in that I wasn't equipped to do this work, period. I had to go get that purple vest, I'm gonna borrow it, and put it on in the mirror. But also at the same point, I've always said to myself, just to think about overcoming it, who's gonna do this better than you? And it's not an ego thing, but no, sometimes it's actually, you know, what resources do we have in place that are actually gonna do this work? Because if I don't, no one else will, and you gain experience from that. And that just kind of is another notch on the belt when I said, who's going to do this better than me? Well, actually, purple vest, no one's going to do this better than me. So I think that also is a little bit of the way in which we're reframing. Lastly, I'll say my strength is a connector. So we absolutely should talk in the future for you and I to get hook you up with your next boss, mentor, friend, job. So we've got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I'll add to this conversation, because I think when we talk about the conversation of imposter syndrome, there is a reality that we have to face. Like I think about like how I was raised. It was very much like you have to be the best, beyond the best. Do not make mistakes. You get one chance, like get in there, That's kill right. it, because you don't want to close the door for everyone else who may come behind you. And often I am in rooms where I am the only, yep. or the first, or one of very few. And so that the feelings that come up that we feel in our bodies, they are real. And so part of what I've had to do, and it's taken years, and I recognize the privilege of where I am right now in my career to be able to go into a room and say that, right? So I want to name that privilege, is that I've got to deconstruct. That's the part of me owning my story. Like, why, the how, what was that journey? Deconstruct. For me, one of the things that works for me personally is I recognize that I come into the room as one, like you see one person here, but I stand as many, mm -hmm. right? My ancestors, culturally for me, that's very important, the honoring of my ancestors and what they've done, and also those that are gonna come before. So when I'm in a room, I remind myself of that. And I write it down on a little piece of paper, so when I do get the moment that the imposter syndrome is wiggling, because it does, I can pull the paper out. You are here because you are supposed to be here. And you are not alone. You may be one sitting right here right now, but you stand as many. Yeah. One more question. Uh, two hands went up, so we'll do two more questions. <laughs> Thank you, um, all of you. This question is about values and each of you have, all of our speakers have articulated values very clearly. 
and what a gift and what power that holds. I'm curious if you might be able to share your process of finding that and articulating it in a way that you can carry into your work setting when it comes to maybe that intersection of bringing your values into a system, into a corporate place, and, and how you activate and hold them so presently. Mm. I could start. Um, it takes time as a seasoned, more mature person not qualified to be in midlife in that age group. <laughs> no, I love age. In all seriousness, I absolutely do embrace age. But um, no, I think from just being seasoned in kind of my time and tenure for me, I think that for me, I've had to really wrestle with being unapologetic about my values because if I'm not living my values, kind of holding kind of to ethics and the values and the purpose that I have, I'm actually not gonna show up well. I'm actually gonna probably be like 50% Katie and even worse that'll get to like 30%, 20%. Oh, you know that red little battery on your iPhone? That's me, like if I don't have that met. And so I think that there is a certain part where in any space I have to be unapologetic of what I truly value to know can I be here, am I safe to be here, can I thrive here? And unapologetic if I have to walk out that door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I agree that it takes time. Um, for me, the process that I went through, so I love to write things down. I try to always have a notebook or a paper or pen with me like all the time. Um, and if I can't get it, I will grab a napkin or something and write it down too. And so what has happened over the years is that there are things that have inspired inspired me. Whether I'm in like a class with Tunde on Peloton and she says something, I'm like, oh, I gotta write down the nugget <laughs> while I'm like riding the bike, right? But there's something that comes through and then I go back and I look at it and I see a thread, right? I go back and kind of examine my stories and I start to see threads and I can pull, oh, there's this theme and I give it a name. Very practically speaking, in the process that we went through um, just a few weeks ago, was able to pull a list of value words. And I found some words that really resonated, and when I connected them with my you know, years of notebooks and themes, I was like, oh, this thing and that thing, that word connects with me, but only I can define what that means. So it is really important to write out your definition of what that thing means for you. Right? And so I think practically being able to go through that and then like calling it down, calling it down. If I couldn't have any of these, what one thing could I not live without? Yeah. Right? And being able to ask yourself those types of questions, you can start to get clear on what that is. And just as like you evolve over time as you grow and you live into this life, you will start to see some of the definition and the nuance in your, in your values start to grow and evolve too, right? Because we become fuller, more expansive, richer people in terms of who we are. And so I think just staying in that process of curiosity and inquiry with yourself becomes really important as well. Recognizing that most of the people in this room probably work for or with companies that are in, let's politely say, a different space on the values and mission spectrum that Patagonia is. 
I think the real accountability moment for purpose and values and mission is actually in those weekly conversations that employees have with their managers and in those occasional conversations about performance and compensation and promotion. That's where the rubber meets the road on this. What does Patagonia do? And I realize this is an enormous question. So maybe one or two highlights. What does Patagonia do to support both employees and managers being authentic to the values in those key conversations that happen all the time and have such a big impact on the employee's experience of the company? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's something we actively work on um, that I'm actively working on right now. So a key part of our strategy for how we think about people and culture, not just HR, but in the broadest sense, people and culture at Patagonia, is how do we put experience at the center of everything that we do? So what that means is how do we deeply listen and understand how people are experiencing the world and what their lived experiences are and where are their gaps, where there's disconnect, where's their friction, where's their pain, and then how do we target that to then better meet those needs? In terms of the day-to-day -day conversations, Patagonia just turned 50 years old, right? So we're talking about what our next 50 years looks like. And for a long time, as in many cultural traditions, as you go from being founder and family and you start to grow is that it, stories are passed and you just do things, right? It's like this thing needs to be done, we're just gonna figure out how to do it, and then through storytelling, that word gets passed. What we're working on now is how do you begin to codify that and like capture that essence without restricting it so that you can pass it along. When you're now over 3,600 people, you can't just pass the word in the way that it was done before. So we're actively working on what does that look like? How do we support managers that are leading in probably one of the most dynamic and complex times? They're human beings experiencing this world as they're also trying to show up for other people, right? So really focused in on how we do that and have the right conversations to enable them. And then from an employee perspective, really working on like hearing directly from our employees in real time on what's working, what's not, and how do we ensure that those conversations in the day-to-day -day are taking place. And sometimes we don't get it right, but when we realize that we didn't get it right, it's that action to go back and correct that I think is the difference maker and to repair. And I'll just add from an individual level. So for me, I worked with an organization, because you often have to kind of take a glance into like, at what point am I conflicted in this space? And I was working with an organization that, and we did focus groups. They were actually, their, I think attorney general called them out for not being so inclusive in their workplace. And I remember the first action that I was kind of hired to do was to do focus groups. And I remember, and I still, this drives me every single day in this work, because I think about her every single day. It was this Latin-A woman, took three buses in an hourly job, not a guaranteed shift as she managed her children, no caregivers, no support, minimum wage job. And as she shared her story amongst this focus group, we talked at the end and I said, what brought you here? Three buses, not compensated, like what brought you here? She said, I just need to work in something that hopefully will be better tomorrow than today. And I looked at that moment and I said, I don't know if 
this organization is going to do that for you. In my mind, I'm sitting here going, I don't know if they're ready. You deserve this and you deserve a better manager and you deserve all of these things. But I also thought, if I've got agency in this assignment, even when I am a little bit conflicted and if they're going to, they're not gonna be superheroes by any measure or means. But if I can actually do honor and justice in this work to help tell that story, help to you know, tell the organization the things that they will, no one else will tell them, then maybe I can create some of the values that I believe in kind of where I'm conflicted to help create a change for that one person that I think of truly very often in my life. I don't even remember her name, but I remember doing the work for and in service for her because I can. So I've got, talked a lot about agency, but like how can we continue onward and forward with our agency in this space mm -hmm. that's rooted in purpose and mm -hmm. values as well? Um, excuse me, amazing, Ch choked me up, amazing, amazing. Uh, please join me in thanking Teresita and Katie for an incredible conversation. Thank you, thank you very much.